Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to this very, very special edition of Wonder Women in Business podcast. Today's special guest is a very good friend to so many women and a very good friend to me included. I want to tell you a little bit about how she became today's guest before I announce who she is. Um, so this woman is very, she's moving the needle in a big way, and she's very uh, integral to the shifting landscape that we're seeing. And when I put out there to my 99 podcast guests that I've interviewed thus far, many, many women wrote me back and nominated this particular person as my very special guest for my 100th anniversary. And I thought that was so special. I too would nominate her. She's amazing. Many of you know her. Her name is Lorraine McKinnon. Thank you for being here, Lorraine. I'm so excited. You have no idea how many women wrote me back and said you absolutely should interview Lorraine McKinnon for your 100th anniversary of podcasting. I'm so excited to have you here. Yay. Uh, thank you so much. Thank you to everyone. I think it's a lovely circle of women supporting women and I know you are a huge advocate of that so it is my honor to be here for your 100th episode and what a milestone for you congratulations why so fast well thank you um so folks we work a lot together Lorraine and I we we live in the same area and we know a lot of the same people but we both are um open nationally to helping women all across the nation so if you have questions concerns if you want advice if you want to belong, if you want to learn more about how we do what we do, um, we'll put all that information about how to reach Lorraine at the um, close of the podcast. We'll also put it in the blog that I write. But I want to tell you a little bit about Lorraine. Um, she has the most unique title in her LinkedIn profile, and every word of it is true. You know how you read some people's profiles and they're like, you know, chief happiness officer. Well, what does that mean? Well, Lorraine says it like it is, and she absolutely is, um, as she says she is, the talent and culture strategist. She's the diversity and belonging advocate, speaker, and author. And I'm telling you, she's done all of that, and not just done it, but done it well. So I'm super excited to know her and have her here on the show. We're going to get to know her, not just from her LinkedIn profile. We're going to get to know her personally today. We're going to dive in. Um, usually she's the one lifting others. She's the one uh, making certain that the light shines brightly on other women in business. But today is her day and I feel honored to have her here. So let's get started, Lorraine. Why don't we um, tell a little bit about yourself to the listeners? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, so I call myself a talent and culture strategist because I really enjoy the work behind enabling people to do their very best work and be recognized for it. Um, I work mostly with corporations who want to improve their productivity, their innovation, their profitability by attracting and retaining the best talent. Um, as you mentioned, we're here in the San Francisco Bay Area. I live in Silicon Valley. So we're in a hot talent market. We are in a very competitive environment. And the pool of talent is very diverse. So, uh, you know, here there's lots of people 
from different backgrounds, races, ethnicities, nationalities, um, different educational backgrounds, genders, sexual orientation, personality types, leadership types. I mean, the list just goes on and on. And we have, you know, a really diverse group of people in the workplace, and we're asking people to collaborate. And sometimes that's hard. Sometimes having different perspectives um, can be challenging. And yet, that work that you do to um, sort of listen and be aware and recognize and appreciate the differences is exactly what will help you and companies succeed. So it's really amazing work. Um, it is something I'm passionate about and have been passionate about uh, for, for quite a long time. The, um, the area I'm most interested in is sort of that troubleshooting. So a lot of companies have put in best practices and maybe find that they're not seeing the results that they expect on their talent diversity. And because of my background and experience and because of the work that I do with a number of women and people of color, um, I'm pretty good at seeing the roadblocks, some of those subcultures and unexpected dips in careers. And so that's where I like to spend my time. So I basically help companies create healthy workplace cultures. I do a lot of unconscious bias trainings and diversity facilitations. I help construct programs that support women and people of color through that leadership pipeline. Um, you know, if you're familiar with the McKinsey Lean In, as I know you are, Susan, um, I focus on that middle level of the pipeline where you see the numbers start to drop where people of color, you know, across pretty much every category uh, and women tend to start um, dropping out of that leadership pipeline where they don't get to those senior levels as easily. And so they're underrepresented in senior levels and in the executive levels. And that's exactly the problem I'm trying to solve. And you do it so well. Um, yes, I am familiar with their work and I follow them and Catalyst regularly. Um, I will say that, folks, Lorraine has a way of working magic. So what does that mean? That means that she is standing on the outside looking in and seeing things that those of us who are in it really miss and don't see. And we can't see why there's a disconnect or we don't see, you know, this is what it is. It's a fact. And this is how it is. Well, someone else might see their own fact a totally different way. And she's able to recognize where that disconnect is and how to bring people together um, giving merit to another stand and giving opportunity where uh, one might not exist for those of us who are um, women or other minorities. Uh, she's definitely a, a vocal spokesperson about that, but she's also a doer. She takes action. So um, she did not ask me to pitch her that way, but that is just genuinely, <laughs> <laughs> that is how I feel about her and her work. And I can tell you from the survey of who should be my 100th podcast guest, there are many, many women in business across the nation and especially in the Bay Area who think that she should be and is a great podcast guest. And I agree. Um, tell us about your um, education, maybe your background. How did you come to do what you do now? Yeah, so my education is right aligned with what I do now. I went to Wellesley College, which is an all women's college in the East Coast, and had um, done a lot of different multidisciplinary type um, classes, but came out with a dual degree in political science and women's studies. I, I guess more, maybe more ironic is that then I went into financial services and spent 23 years of my career in an investment management firm, 
uh, working on retirement, pensions, multinational sovereign wealth, uh, so multinational companies and sovereign wealth plans. So I took this kind of um, pivot very, very early in my career, in part because it's the job I got. I came out in a soft job market, started as an administrative assistant, and worked my way up through the company to managing director. So it was a really amazing path. It was an incredible learning curve. Not only did I become someone who had a lot of expertise in retirement, in the 401k space, and around employee engagement, working with HR teams and finance teams to help make sure that this financial wellness benefit was optimized for employees, um, but it also taught me quite a lot about the challenges of moving up within an organization. And I wasn't necessarily a traditional candidate for promotion each time, um, but had managed to prove my knowledge base and my impact um, right up until I got to the most senior level, um, at which time it took a very prolonged time for me to um, sort of have people recognize the work that I was doing. And it was through that experience that I um, began to see things a little bit differently. First of all, I gave myself a pretty hard time because as a women's studies major, I should have understood when the bias started to creep yeah. in earlier than I did. Um, we were always told it was a meritocracy and it was a meritocracy until you got to a certain level and then all of a sudden it wasn't and I missed that in a way that I, I feel like I should have seen. <laughs> you were homesick that day. <laughs> Something <laughs> happened, yeah. Uh, and then really understood the challenges. Um, you know, the what got you here won't get you there was absolutely true for me. And um, it was because of that that I decided to get back to my women's studies and diversity roots and form a talent incubator because I saw what was happening to me and I found a way around it and I theorized that perhaps I could help other women who were in that same challenging position. Uh, and so I launched this talent incubator that uh, is part of the club Silicon Valley, which is a nonprofit. And uh, Susan is a member and we get to spend Yay. a lot of time together. Yay! Because of that amazing organization. Uh, and I, I sort of had this thesis that it would help others. And indeed, I found that my experience was so incredibly similar to women in technology, in law, in science, in academia. It was just remarkable how women were hitting the same roadblocks at the same times in their career. They might manifest themselves just a little bit differently. Uh, but it's all the same. Uh, there, there's very little differentiation to your experience based upon industry. And so that was a huge aha moment for me. And it really propelled me to say, you know, I've done what I came to accomplish in financial services. I had a really wonderful and successful career. Uh, and so I pivoted back to my early passion to get back into the diversity work. So I think it's very interesting that you went to one of the world's finest colleges for women and then you jumped right into an all-male uh, industry, financial services. So yay for you. Um, that's quite a brave leap. I'm not sure if it was, you know, if you knew what you were getting into, but you did it and you did it well. Your story is sort of a case study for the findings in the most recent McKinsey report. So. Um, yeah, I've experienced that same or similar path as well. But again, like I said earlier, I was in it. So I didn't recognize what was happening. And now that I'm out of it, and you see it with so many women, 
you're like, wow, this happens way too often. It's a pattern. There are patterns. Yeah. And I will say when I first joined the company that I joined, um, which then became another company and then became another company because financial services industry was really consolidating over time. But when I first joined the company, it was a utopian workplace. So we had a lot of senior women, we had a lot of women of color in particular. Um, A few years after I joined our CEO, um, uh, one of our leaders was promoted into CEO. She's a woman. Uh, And so I came out of college with this women's studies degree coming out of an all women's college into this company thinking like, yeah, this is exactly how it should be. And what was fascinating was over the years, how that started to erode in part because our business model changed in part because our ownership changed twice. um, And in part because it, it feels like there has been a decrease and a decline. Some of which you can see in the McKinsey numbers um, you know, as much time and effort as we're all putting into diversity, the numbers are not improving. And in fact, in some industries, they are declining. So I feel like I got, I got to see what it's supposed to be like, and now work passionately to try to help companies get back to that place. Yeah. So folks, what I see that Lorraine does, that's a little different than some people is that instead of changing how women behave, she is fighting to change the operating system within which we all work. Um, you know, that, that's what we need to do. Instead of fighting each other for the one or two spots at the top that might be reserved just to check off a box for a female, she instead is working to change the system so that there are many more spots at the top for the person who deserves it most. And in that case, it's often a woman, but all too often that woman doesn't get that position. So it is a different approach. I love your approach. You take a, an institutional view and you make it personal for each and every one of us in the club. At least I know that for uh, personally, from my perspective. Um, so yay, again, another reason why you're one of my favorite people and on this particular podcast. Um, with that many accomplishments and that, I'm not dating us. We're, we're both about the same age, folks, but I, I don't mean to date us, but we do both have really robust careers. And I want to ask Lorraine, with that kind of experience under your belt, what would you see as your proudest moment, your proudest accomplishment? I think I can guess, but I'll let you say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say it's launching the Talent Incubator um, because it's been an opportunity to help uh, advocate for people and help them see, you know, the women in the incubator are incredibly diverse um, in every way, um, to help them see that it's not them, it's not, they're not the only ones, that there are patterns of uh, bias that happen to you know, many people in the workplace, not just women, frankly. And then in particular, there's patterns of bias that happen for women. Uh, And so it can be very frustrating. You know, you do see people dropping out of the workplace or pivoting their careers out of a certain industry because of it. And the lean in data shows that. But I think what's so exciting to me is I've figured out a whole bunch of ways for individuals to get around their roadblocks Um, sort of using the system that's already there, that's put in place for them. 
And so some of the aspects of the incubator that I think are a little bit more unique uh, blend with some of the sort of tried and true best practices. Yeah. So we focus on career development and we have a fantastic career coach, Christy Royce, who helps people with their personal visioning and mission. Um, she does the DISC personality assessment, the leadership assessment, so you can see how you operate and how um, you know, you, you manage in times of stress and also what your other, you know, the counterparts at work, what their personality base might be, what's important to them. Uh, and then we help folks with their personal brand to come up with the words, the language that they use about themselves and want others to use. But then we go to public profile. So, so many people, so many women in particular are at work with their heads down, you know, working as hard as they can, and they sort of pick their head up just as I did and say, hey, wait a second, why am I not further along? And you're working within a system within your workplace, but in fact, having external recognition can be incredibly important and it can buoy you internally in a way that won't work if you're just working you know, amongst your colleagues. And so my favorite part of the incubator, and I think one of the more unique parts of what we do is to help women to build their public profile, be recognized for their expertise, be known um, for the way that they think in their thought leadership. And we do that through encouraging people to write, be on podcasts. We do that um, by nominating women for awards that they absolutely deserve and would never have thought to go out and nominate themselves for. I love that part of the program. Now, I haven't been in the incubator program, but I am a member of the club, so I'm aware of all the good things they do. I want to say, I think that um, women, research shows that women are more inclined to prevent problems than to let them occur and then solve them later. So I think we already face um, fewer opportunities to be recognized for our skills and abilities because we didn't let chaos ensue and then come in like the white knight and clean it up, you know? So um, that's one thing. Another, that's one more reason we need to own our voice and our story and tell our story and uh, make sure that others raise our profiles. And she, she doesn't mean just on LinkedIn folks. She means your entire uh, persona that you put to the public, whether that's the public at work or after hours or, you know, you need to have a posse or a tribe or, you know, people who can sponsor you and mentor you and know who you are and the things that you've done. And I think that the incubator program does that. First of all, Christy's amazing. Um, the woman you referenced, I know her. She's incredible. I'm a huge fan. Um, second of all, I think the two of you together have literally changed lives in, and I say that in a meaningful way, not just, oh, someone was made happy today. No, people make money, people save time, people get promotions. They when choose jobs, they change careers. I mean, exactly. I've, I've had people introduce me to their friends saying, this woman changed my life. And it's exactly, yeah. it's exactly why you do it, right? It's why we invest in women, we invest in other women. It's uh, incredibly rewarding. Exactly, exactly. These are meaningful metrics by which um, you yourself can measure success um, by how much you help others. I know that's, that's your model is to help others. And when you do that success in your eyes. So who has inspired you? You've inspired so many others who inspired you. Well, I, um, I, through the work that I do with all these different women and within companies, um, I really get to live vicariously through other people. I, 
uh, will encourage people to and advocate for them to go and you know do something they might not do otherwise and so I'm usually one of the first to know when there's a success <laughs> I'll get these texts these random texts and people will say I got into this program or I got awarded with this award um, and so you know that is all incredibly inspiring um, but you won't be surprised to hear that my mom is my original uh, inspirational mentor and that's because uh, she did not go to college at a traditional age and she always believed in education and wanted that opportunity for herself and she spent a number of years feeling badly that she didn't go to college and get that education and so when i was in my teens she decided to go back through community college um, she'd do you know one or two courses a year and over several years um, built up enough credits to transfer into wellesley college so wow. when I was in my uh, in high school and I would have a day that, uh, you know, our high school wasn't in session, I would often go to classes with my mom at Wellesley. And she just and so she graduated the year before I went in, before I um, was accepted and, and went on campus, which I always said, you know, thank goodness, because it, at least at that stage of my life, you know, being at college with my mom would not have been cool. <laughs> she's she's a cool person, but, you know, she's your mom. Uh, and so. Not only did that give me the confidence to apply for the school, which is like the third best liberal arts college in the country at the time, uh, it also helped me to ace my interview because I was already going to classes there. I already had a really good sense of the school, how I could fit in, what it could do for me, and what I could do for the school. Uh, but then lastly, it taught me that you can do anything at any age. So it really didn't matter what age she went in, and it really didn't matter um, what others thought. You know, she had this personal passion. She was smart, and she was willing to put in the time um, to make it a really successful endeavor. And watching that, you know, sort of in person and how it played out um, was just incredibly inspiring. How wonderful that she led by example and then kept the seat warm for you. Um, I know most of you, if not all of you, have heard of Wellesley. Of course, we know the most famous graduate of Wellesley, Hillary Rodham Clinton, and I'm still a fan, and I would be, you know, proud to call her a sister if I had gone to such a fine university um, as Wellesley, and you should be very, very proud that you're a graduate of Wellesley and that your mom led the way. That's so awesome. What a moving story. So your mom is still with you now today, right? Yep, she yeah. is with me. Yep. That is awesome. That's so great. So maybe we'll have her on for my next 100th <laughs> podcast. That'd be, um, that'd be fun. And then the other thing that I, um, that I learned at Wellesley that's worth noting is it was a very diverse school. Um, the college has a need blind financial aid policy, which means you put your application in one envelope and your financial aid application in another. They accept you based upon your merit and your sort of all the, the factors that um, will prove that you will be a quality student. And then they open up the package that says whether you need money or not. So our school is wow. It was very activist. Um, there were wonderful communities of women of color um, who were there to help you understand what they went through and how they had earned and absolutely deserved their spot there. And they were incredibly inspiring and just gave me a really wonderful foundation to come into the workplace with an appreciation for 
um, you know, the bias and discrimination that happens and just how there are so many incredibly smart people of so many different backgrounds. So that was, that's the other little plug for Wellesley because people think of it as, you know, a very traditional school. It's actually uh, quite diverse and really special. That's so, that, uh, I've never heard of that actually. That's a really unique um, entrance and, you know, financial aid application. Uh, that, that's awesome, wow. I also would say that I think going to a school like Wellesley and doing what you do now, um, you were ahead of the game when it comes to storytelling being a really strong business skill. I think that a lot of our history includes um, folks who are valued for their quantitative skill set, not their qualitative. And that's just not the way it is anymore. And I'm so glad about that, obviously, because I mean, I can only spell quantitative. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm all about storytelling and compelling stories and inspiring and motivating, persuading. Um, and I think that women do that more readily and more easily. Um, than men in general. And I think that for you to be surrounded by such diverse stories and backgrounds and experiences and empathizing with people of all walks is so powerful. Um, that's really great. No surprise that you have, um, I don't want to say ended up where you are because you're certainly not ending anything. You just are where you are. And I can, you know, there's a trajectory for you always. I'm sure there's some awesome new things happening every day. Let me ask you, um, this is kind of a silly question considering what you do for a living. But I'm going to ask it anyway. What is some advice that you can give others who are listening? Maybe that they don't have the resources that you have or they're not, you know, um, where you are in their career. What can they do just every day to support other women in business? So I think there's a lot of different things. Um, first of all, approaching everything with a growth mindset for yourself and for others. Um, you know, just believing in yourself and what you can do and what you can learn um, makes you think of yourself in a different, with a different lens and from a different perspective and is really enabling both for you and for others. Um, many of the women who are going to be listening to this podcast are role models for others uh, and, and for them to um, never sort of cap their own opportunity or potential is really inspiring for others. I think, um, you know, you'd mentioned that, you know, sometimes women perceive there's one spot at the top. And, you know, it's a competition to get there. And in fact, a lot of the research will show that, um, you know, there need to be two or three women on a board or two or three women in an executive um, just for an executive uh, team. And these are smaller teams. So some percentage of the team needs to be female in order for the female not to be the other. And so it's super important to help encourage people with their talents, help uh, clear roadblocks for others to speak up. Um, one of the easiest things that we can all uh, do is when we hear somebody be, being interrupted, uh, sort of pause, help to pause the conversation and let that person uh, say what they had intended to say. So research shows that women tend to be interrupted more by both men and other women than men do in a meeting. Yeah. So if there's someone being interrupted, 
you know, as a group, you can come up with a sign. Um, as an individual who just observes it happening, you know, you can, you can really pause the conversation. When people have the opportunity to say what they're trying to say, you know, that's often the crux of an idea or if it's often the crux of potentially an innovation. And by, by trampling over other people, you know, that's really hard. And that's such an easy way to support women and others. Um, it's, it's just one of those really actionable, like you could start to do it in your next meeting. I love that. So I talk about the man interrupter, but you're right. I have studied the research that does show both men and women interrupt women more often, just as what, just like what you just said. Um, I often ask people to have the courage to say, you know, I'd like to hear more from Lorraine or more about what she was saying, or that sounds a lot like what Lorraine was saying. Lorraine, could you expound upon that? Um, but yeah, it happens a lot, far too often. And that's different folks than um, overlapping. A lot of women do the ahums and the yeah, and oh, I, to validate, to show, oh yeah, I get you. I've been there. I'm with you. I empathize. That's not interrupting. Interrupting, we know, is that rude cut you off and take the conversation in a different direction. And that's not okay. Um, it sounds like a small thing to do, um, what Lorraine said. No, it's not. It's a huge thing. It makes a big impact. What it is really is an easy thing to do, um, but it's very powerful and very important. Well, let me ask you, um, as we come to a close, there are a couple of more questions I'd like to ask, one of which is, it hasn't been a bed of roses, I'm sure. What has been a challenge or setback that you've overcome and how? Yeah, so I had alluded to it earlier, I mentioned it earlier, um, the promotion process for me to the most senior level at my prior organization was without a doubt the greatest professional challenge. Um, and in some ways a setback. Um, I had been you know, performing at a high level, I had really good numbers, I was in a sales organization, I had made sure that I was tied to revenue, I was working with some of the biggest clients, I had some amazing large deals, and I didn't even realize myself that I was on that, sort of at that promotion ready point, except I had a colleague come to me and say, hey, you know, you'll be up for managing director next year. And I said, oh, no, 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 I'd have to do so much more and have so many more clients. And he said, Lorraine, you've already won business that's equivalent to or hire people who have earned this title. And so he was one of the male allies for me who uh, sort of respected the work that I did and was kind of keeping track of things around the, around the company. So I went to my manager, you know, sort of in the next cycle, which was many months later and said, hey, uh, you know, I know the promotion process is coming up. I'd like to spend some time with you to understand what that means uh, and, you know, and confirm that I'll be part of, of the promotion process this year. And my manager said to me, um, no, I, uh, I'm not sure if you're going, if I'm going to put you up for, for promotion this year. And even if I were, I wouldn't tell you. Um, and this was the direct opposite to what our HR team was telling everyone, which is you should be having these conversations with your manager, right. you, know, you should not have any surprises. You should be able to have open conversations about your career trajectory and your pipeline and the promotion process. So luckily the company was pretty clear about this on the HR website. So I was able to go and <laughs> the the HR website and send it to my boss and said, Hey, let's try this again. <laughs> <laughs> Good so, for you. Good yeah. for you. And, and, you know, it's a much longer saga. There are many more little stories like that. It took five years, um, but it finally happened um, to the point where, 
my main emotion when I got promoted was I was really embarrassed. I was really embarrassed that it had taken that long. And a lot of people say to me, oh my gosh, I didn't realize you weren't already a managing director. Um, you know, I felt like my age and stage had just already passed. And it was embarrassing. Like when I didn't go celebrate with my husband or anything, it was, it was so far past the point that it should have happened, that it was a negative overall, you know, sort of situation or feeling that I had. Um, and I thought, well, it's just me. I had a really unique, you know, long process. And I've talked to so many other women who, who feel the same way. Yeah. It's a slog. It's, it's hard and it's a slog and you can overcome it, but you know, it, it doesn't always feel fabulous to have to fight the system either. Well, I think that that was very courageous of you to give pushback or provide feedback to your boss about what the actual policy is. There are many, many um, stories like that across my promotion sure. process. That's one of the more fun ones, I think. They don't all they don't all end as well, you know. Um, I I've been in that position. I've been called the dissenter or the troublemaker. I don't break the rules. I keep the rules, and sometimes that's the troublemaker yep. who keeps the rules. You're sort of the Susan Lucci, <laughs> but I'm glad that you went through that and are courageous enough to tell the story because there are women out there who weren't one courageous enough to push back and two, if they did, weren't courageous enough to share the story. So in your doing so, you give permission to them to be authentic and to share their vulnerabilities and their dis uh, disdain for this kind of behavior. I mean, that's, that's what I mean by change the operating system. Well, and not only that, but um, I had, over the years of my promotion process, I had a, an incredible amount of support from executive leadership in the firm. Um, so there were programs, I had an executive sponsor, um, and I think what wow. my situation was, was it was an education and an awareness for some of the people in the organization as well. Uh, how, you know, these processes don't just always work the way you think they're going to. You can have a best practice promotion process and people who should be making it through that promotion process still don't because of subcultures, because of, you know, the, the sort of political network within an organization. And so that experience of my own and then watching it for others and the women in the incubator, you know, I, I really understand where some of these processes fall down and that's why now in my consulting work, I help companies to, you know, sort of shine a light on why things aren't working the way that they should. Um, and and it's usually comes down to personalities and political structures. You know, what's cool about the way you do what you do is that you don't make the company feel bad about what's going wrong. I mean, everyone, you can win or learn. You don't have to lose. So situations, yeah, there's so much more nuanced, right? It's, yeah. it's never one incident. It's never one occasion. It's never one situation. It's never one process. It's a really complicated blend that makes a situation that someone finds themselves in. And so for individuals, when I consult with individuals, we're trying to figure out all those different paths. You know, you've got a big roadblock in front of you, but there are so many different ways to get around the roadblock. Um, and, and it's really fun to strategize and help people, you know, do that brainstorming and, and then that, that technique they can use again and again and again. Yeah. So I love that you, you encourage people to open up, you encourage people, um, who represent companies to open up now that's different. So you, you'll have the employee and then you'll have the person representing the department or the larger organization. 
and to have them at the table being prepared to share feedback and to exchange information and listen with empathy and not judgment. That's no easy task, ladies. So thank you. <laughs> thank you for doing that. You might even make these businesses um, better places for uh, women and other minorities to actually work and want to stay. And, Absolutely. Yeah. I love and even if they don't stay, the, if they were, if they, even if people don't stay, but they refer their, their great friends. Yeah. Um, you know, that's, that's just as important. That's a big deal. Yeah. Referrals. And it's almost like a testimonial to the, the company or experience you have in the company. Yep. Awesome. Well, let me ask you one last question. Um, tell us a little something about you we don't know, or even those of us who do know you, something we may not know about you. Yeah. So I am a sailboat racer. Um, wow. I can't say, honestly do as much of it these days as I did, but one of the reasons why I moved to San Francisco is because I loved to race sailboats and you can do it all year round out here in one of the most beautiful and challenging uh, sailboat racing venues, which is San Francisco Bay. Um, so I moved out here without a job, kind of on a lark and uh, started sailing on the bay and met my husband racing against him in a world <laughs> So wow. we continued to do uh, some pretty uh, serious sailboat racing in the bay and on the ocean for many, many years. And uh, I will confess that the last major race that I did, which was a, a, a sailing nationals, uh, I was three months pregnant with my daughter and I haven't been nearly as active since. And that was, that was quite a while ago now. <laughs> I get that. I get that. So Folks, she said the words World Cup. In case you missed that, that's a pretty big deal. So, Lorraine, you're officially, in my book, a badass. Uh, thank you. <laughs> that's awesome. Oh, congratulations well, on your 100th podcast. And, you know, you do a superb job on these podcasts, but you have so much incredible dynamic energy. It does come through the microphone, but I've got to say that you in person is just you know, a million watts. So I hope a lot of organizations are, you know, reaching out to you to bring you in to do the magic that you do to help people understand gendered communications uh, and, you know, all those skills that people need in the modern day workplace. So I hope you get lots of in-person opportunities to work your magic as well. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I believe in advise, hire, or refer. Advise, hire, or refer. And you do that all the time. So thank you for being a part of my network. And if folks want to reach out to you directly, Lorraine, what email, how, how do they reach you? LinkedIn? What, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah. So um, my name is pretty unique. If you Google me or find me in LinkedIn, as long as you're spelling my first name right, uh, L-A-R-A-I-N-E, you will find me. And if not, uh, I am connected to you, Susan. <laughs> so yes. You can find me that way too. Yes. And I'll put her contact info in the blog that I write, and then I will sync this podcast into that blog. And I will think I'm really cute and funny by calling it a blog cast because I thought <laughs> that was my unique word. I found that people use that all the time now. But anyway, so thank you, thank you, thank you for all that you do. Thank you for, more importantly, who you are. And I thank you personally for being here on my 100th podcast. We will put this out by tomorrow, folks. So look for it on the World Wide Web and connect with Lorraine. She does great things in this shifting the landscape in a good way. Have a good day, everybody. Thank you.